Welcome to show 48 of the C-Suite podcast, the uh, third in a series that is being sponsored by Capstone Hill Search here at uh, Can Lion, and we're sat in the ICO House of PR doing some more interviews, and I am now joined by two uh, former guests of the show, actually, uh, Scott Allen, who was actually only on the show last week. Um, so Scott is the uh, CMO of Microsoft UK. He likes it so much, he, he came back for more. Um, and in fact, vicky has been on the show twice before. Yep. She, she uh, obviously hasn't learned her lesson. Um, Third time <laughs> Vicky Chowney, who is Asian K Strategies, Director of Content and Publishing Strategies. Now, we are here today to talk about data and creativity. Scott, you were on a panel yesterday with the global CMOs of Pinterest, Dropbox and Hilton Hotels in a session called Clash of the Titans, where data collides with creativity, which uh, is a great title. Can you tell us a little bit more about what Clash of the Titans was involved and, and what it means for you at Microsoft? Sure. It was talking about CMOs thinking more and more how they best use the wealth of data that they've got at their fingertips. I think a lot of CMOs are still very much uh, rich in data, poor in insight. So it was trying to sort of have a look at that and then whether we've become too data focused, does that stop you being creative with your marketing plan or vice versa? Um, We then drilled down into how do you hire for a modern marketing organization if you're thinking about data and you're just thinking about having more technical proficient people within your team. And we looked at how do you make that data meaningful so you actually can create marketing campaigns that are more relevant to your audiences. And then finally, we talked about global content and local content, GLOCAL as we've always called it. Is there a need for both? Actually, does the work GLOCAL go away because you can get very, very relevant with your audience now? And it was a really good discussion, actually. There was a, a lot of good debate between all of the, all of the panellists. And I suppose the end result was we know that the two can work together, um, but there is still work to do for quite a number of CMOs. And what I really liked is it doesn't matter what industry you come from, you're all sharing the, the same pleasure, but also the same pain as well. Yeah, yeah. OK, well, we'll come on to a couple of those things you mentioned there, particularly in terms of the hiring and the talent. Bringing Vicky in on that... Um, You've been quoted as saying that the biggest current opportunity uh, is, is data on audience insights. Mm-hmm. Well, how does that sort of tie in and, and with, with what Scott's talking about and, and what did you mean exactly by that? Well, I think probably your, your panel was looking quite broadly at um, the intersection of uh, data and marketing. But when we were talking previously about audience mapping, I was getting really excited about the fact that from a PR perspective, it's now easier and more cost efficient to get hold of really, really great and very granular audience information. And I think that the access to that and the fact that it's um, you know, no longer cost prohibitive is, is really the game changer. Um, and it's not just the you know big box agencies that can get hold of those subscriptions. It, it's really um, you know the, the whole scale of size of agencies. And I think that's re- that's still really exciting, and it, it, it probably is still one of the growth areas for me in terms of people properly using that appropriately to help inform creative ideas. Uh, Scott, just just coming back to what what you were saying about you know the uh, the kind of sort of the tie in between data and, and, and creativity. When we were discussing, you know, last on the, on the show, um, you, you said that you're increasingly needing your marketing team to be part scientist, part creative. Is that a skill set that's easy to find? I wouldn't say it's a skill set that's easy to find. And I think it's definitely that mindset of not trying to find someone that has skill set and experience 100% because it's unlikely you will find someone like that. Um, however, there are core criteria needed in the people that you're looking for. And I really anchor around 
they need to be business savvy so they can think about business objectives first, not marketing tactics first. So that's really important. They have to have that analytical and data interpreter mindset about them. AI and machine learning is wonderful and we've got lots of tools at our fingertips uh, to be able to use at this moment in time. But without the human intervention and augmentation, it, it doesn't become that meaningful for you. I think the last thing is have somebody that is comfortable then integrating into the creative side of the marketing team so that you get the data team and the creative team leading the campaign strategy and planning, whereas in the older days it would have been just about the creative team leading it. Vicky, does that align with the kind of the people that you're looking to take on? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I think it's really interesting looking at the profile of people that we're now recruiting just generally, you know, whereas you would look for, once upon a time, very classic traditional agency experience. Now, we're hiring people from um, publishers, we're hiring people from digital agencies, people who build things, people who can um, you know, work with data creatively and we're giving them very specific roles that are based on those outputs and expertise rather than kind of broad brushstroke agency titles, which for me is better for them as individuals because they get to focus on things that they love but also from a client perspective and, and an agency point of view we have people who are dedicated and experts and the key to making that work is just ensuring that they all collaborate um, and don't work in silos. But I think it's a, it's a much better way of building a team where people are dedicated to things. Can, have you, can, you give us any, can you give us any examples of where data and creativity have come you know, together in action of, of some of the work that you're doing? Sure. So um, I'll actually just talk about an Intel example, which uh, is an interesting thing given I'm on the panel with Microsoft. <laughs> they're, a, um, they're a good partner of ours. Good. Nice. Um, it's almost like I planned it. Uh, so we just coming back to the audience mapping thing. So yeah. we uh, we use audience mapping to look not only at where people spend their time, but also what they're interested in. And one of the things that we found for Intel um, was that the partnership they were doing with the RSC around using visualization in the Tempest, so production at the Globe in London. Um, their audience that they were trying to talk to about that were high high users of Snapchat. And I think you, if you heard that and you didn't look at the data behind it, you might be quite surprised. But we managed to take this into Intel and show kind of a proof point of the fact that they were, they were using this platform heavily and suggested a Snapchat filter idea um, to promote the work they were doing with RSC, um, which was incredibly popular um, and engaged with far um, above and beyond the average that you would expect for a, for a Snapchat filter. Um, and that for me is a lovely example, a nice simple yeah. way of using um, a platform that's used by the audience in a cool way to talk about something creative. Brilliant. Um, and I don't think, it, you know, examples of creativity and data coming together don't always have to be massive big campaigns. They can just be nice responses yeah. to how people behave. Sure. Scott? Yeah. And I think, just to, to add that point, um, creativity doesn't always have to be across the whole of the marketing life cycle and the customer buying journey. Sometimes you don't need to be creative. If you've gone quite through the purchasing process, you want to get more down to featuring the benefits. And you can still be creative, but you don't have to be wild creative like you might be at the top of the funnel. I think for me, um, data helps you inform what you need to do, but also it allows you to decide what not to do. I think there's still that trap that a lot of marketeers can get caught into of, I'm going to do this because I've always done it. And I think it's successful, but because I've always done it, I know how to, I'll continue doing it. What data allows you to do is say, actually, 
that event that you went to wasn't the right thing to do and these are the reasons why but what we're using it more a really good example is instead of saying that I'm going to run an event in Manchester in February aimed at certain audiences I can use data to say we need to do an event in Manchester on this date with this audience and this profile because we've done some propensity modeling and modeling and these customers are likely to want to purchase from us that means you can be uber targeted around bringing the right people to the venue at the right time and that's going to make it more successful so we're using data to get that specific and I talk a lot in my team about look 10% backwards and 90% forwards and that that's a really good example of, of how we do that I just want to um change topic slightly um you said uh recently that you'd uh, rather make two data hires than spend big in can um so i just want to know what you thought you know how's it been for you here in in can and uh, was that the right decision can can was just an example because i was on the panel yesterday i was i was sort of uh, alluding to the fact of i'd rather spend money on two data hires than go and spend lots of money on lots of different events and i yeah. think sometimes marketers don't think like that in terms of it's all about the sort of demand generation and middle funnel stuff so let's do events what i'm saying is if you hire data people they can inform those decisions and make you better marketers and deliver better marketing at the end of it so to answer your question cam has been really fascinating for me the sort of 24 hours or so that i've been here lots of sessions that i've attended lots of meetings that i've had and i love the coming together of of a core advertising marketing audience but also lots of other speakers that are nothing to do with marketing and advertising who've got their perception of what marketing can do for them but also most importantly what technology can do seen a lot of presentations around the marketing technology that can drive really great marketing that's a real change over over the last year or two um and you'll hear things like ai and mixed reality and all that stuff being talked about yeah. which is now coming much more to the fore but again it can't work on its own it has to work with humans involved and that that human and technology coming together bit is 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 really exciting for me okay um and vicky uh when we last spoke on the show here in in ken uh you were launching sherlock plus how have things developed over the last year in terms of using data with the work that you're doing with social influencers Yeah, so it's really interesting. Happily, we, as like as a general point of view, we're seeing clients ask us to kind of change and evolve the way that we actually work with influencers. So moving away from you know single use of big ticket celebrity style influencers more towards people who genuinely share um, a connection and, and a shared value set with our clients, and looking at longer term relationships where. you know we find out what an influencer wants to do and, and work out a way that we can support that and vice versa and a lot of that is about digging into the data of how their community is built what they're interested in what they respond to and then we can map that to the to the brands that we work with um and make sure that there's a proper genuine reason that they might work together rather than just using someone for their reach so that's really exciting for me and and the kind of other element of that is that we're seeing newer types of influencers come out of that that kind of research so happily moving away from people who are just famous for being famous yep. um and having a big youtube following or whatever um and moving towards um people who actually make stuff yeah. so you know there's a there's a huge uh, community around makeup artists and um interior designers on instagram at the moment photographers you know people who have a tangible profession um which i think is great because it means that our clients are uh, they're investing in people who 
I don't know, have a have more of a reason to be influential rather than just the fact that they're internet famous. It's good to hear. Okay, so final question to you both. Anything for our listeners um, that they should be looking out for in this area in the coming months? Vicky, we'll, we'll stick with you. In terms of data? In terms of data and creativity. You know, I think it's really interesting to come here and listen to people start talking about AI in a practical perspective. Um, last year, there was an amazing session um, that I think Icebar held that was talking about the first interaction for PR agencies um, with AI was uh, the personal assistant. And the, the change in narrative around that from that session last year to this one this year, which is much more about AI augmenting creativity by taking like repeatable processes and um, making them easier or better, um, which is much more advanced than where we are, were last year. So I think that's really interesting to look at how that would develop. Um, and I know that it's kind of a buzzword at the moment, but for people to ignore that for much longer um, I think would be really foolish so I think look at the trend analysis of how people are talking about the actual use of AI in the next 12 to 18 months. Okay interesting one. Scott what about you? Well I fully endorse the AI piece Microsoft is doing a, a lot in the AI I world. I thought you might say yeah, that. <laughs> so I, I fully endorse that and um, there's a lot of really cool things uh, that are happening there for, for sure but the other thing that you're going to start coming through a lot more is, is what we call mixed reality. So we're birthing a new medium with mixed reality. It's that bringing together of two dimensional objects to 3G objects to holograms, which is then mixed reality as well. And, and that for us in Microsoft is about allowing you to seamlessly share experiences across your digital and your analog world. So look out a lot more for, for mixed reality. You've heard about virtual reality, but mixed reality is something that you're going to hear much more about. And you won't be surprised to hear that Microsoft is doing a, a lot of work in those areas with um, things like HoloLens lens and our creators update that we we've done uh, launched out recently very good vicky chowney scott allen thanks for joining the show thank, thank you. you capstone hill search are global recruitment experts for the public relations public affairs corporate and digital communications industries we are the only recruitment partners to the prca in the uk pr council in the usa and the icco's endorsed recruitment partner internationally with offices in london melbourne sydney as well as New York, covering the UK, Europe, continental USA and Australasia. Whether you are looking for a new role or have a role to fill, get in touch at capstonehillsearch.com. Welcome back to the C-Suite podcast here at Can Lions, sat at the ICO House of PR and a really exciting uh, interview to do now because we have um, a couple of the winners from the Young Lions PR Awards that uh, was given out last night. We'll introduce those guys in a second, but joining me uh, first are three of the judges from the competition. We have Candice Cuss, Director of Social Media at H&K Strategies, Blair Metcalf, Client Director for MSL Group and Chairman of the Young Lions uh, PR Judges, and James Hackin uh, from um, Blue Current Group based in Hong Kong. He's their senior VP. Uh, welcome to all of you. Thank you. Yeah, hello. Candice, let, uh, let's start with you. Tell us about the, uh, the Young Lions uh, PR competition. Well, I think it was amazing in that they had so many teams from around the world, some from as far as China, coming here to uh, compete against each other. Like They had won their country rounds and 
to be on the jury for that, I think for all of us, was very insightful, and you learn a lot from them as well as you know them learning through the experience. Yeah, and uh, and Blair and, and James, uh, can you tell us what what the brief was this year? Who you know who the client was? What was the? Um, I think Blair's going to answer this one. Yeah, no, I'll jump in on that one. So the brief was in from the British Red Cross this year. Uh, it was made into a bit of an international brief so that everybody could have an easier level of understanding for their own cult- cultural nuances and backgrounds. But the effective brief was to talk about and raise attention for silent emergencies, which are those things that take place every day but that the mainstream media may overlook or ignore because it might not be quite sexy enough a natural disaster or quite attractive enough a famine as far as they're concerned um, which is about nine out of ten issues that take place okay and and James what, what was the whole judging process like challenging for you um, I, th- I think it was very challenging. I think that the quality level of, of uh, everyone that participated was, was extremely high. Um, and uh, f- for me, I, I think you know when we came down to sort of sort of narrow down to, to the winners and place them, it was it was extremely um, difficult. I think in terms of sort of placing it because just just because the level was so strong and, and so uh, yeah so reassuring to see that coming through. Good stuff. Okay, well talking of the winners, um, we have two of our winners here uh, with us um, now. Let me introduce uh, Christian Gomez and Stephanie uh, Solizano, um, and they are from an agency in Costa Rica, and you guys won the Bronze Award. How's that feel? Uh, well, we, we're still trying to get used to it, but I don't know, I, I, I still can hear like rocky music playing <laughs> in my head. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, C- Christian, uh, tell us, what, what's the agency that you're from? Uh, we are from uh, Publimark, Mullenlow in Costa Rica. And tell us about the pitch that, that got you to, uh, to win the bronze last night. All right, so when it comes down to silent emergencies, uh, the main objective that we have is like a lot of times people are not, uh, are not able to respond to something that they never heard about, it's not in the radar, it's not in their frequency. So we played with that idea to create a hearing test that can save lives. So what we did is we developed a simple uh, hearing test. You know, you tap every time you hear the sound frequency. But as, as you go down and you pass the 20 hertz uh, barrier, that's the human barrier of listening, you start hearing the stories from those people uh, in silent emergencies. So in the end, it comes down to the fact that if you can hear them, you can help them. And we wanted to deposit a lot of that, saying that, if you can hear this, you can help end the silence of despair and bring the sound of hope to this people's life. How do you actually come up with the ideas? Are you working with teams? Um, you talk us through the whole process. That well, it's 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 very funny. We uh, we are about psychologists, so we believe that listening was a okay. fundamental part of the issue we wanted to tackle of course, with. Yeah, but. Uh, you know, when you when we got the brief, it, it was a very powerful brief, a very powerful brand also. So it's easy to get overwhelmed by it. So we started uh, pitching ideas to each other in the afternoon, but we became blocked and they said, no, we have to take a rest. We went to award ceremony and got spi- inspired that because we saw that we have, to, we, we, thought we have to do something even more simple. The simplicity of the idea, at the end, transmits into power. And that was the Health Lions, correct? Your ceremony you went to? Yeah. So very appropriate. <laughs> and, and, what, and what does it mean to, to win? 
Uh, I believe that, well, it's it's a very overwhelming because it's the first year the PR category was open in Costa Rica. It's the second time in our history that a, a theme that gets a medal in here. So I think it's it's a, a little pat in back that says you, you're in the right career path. But it also, I think that the thing I like the most about winning bronze is that also let, makes you clear that you have a lot of conquer yet. Stephanie, how, you're, you're smiling away there. How, <laughs> how happy do you feel about winning? It's so amazing. Like Christian said, it's our first time to participate and all of it's a, I don't know, it's so stunning, it's unbelievable. I, I, I have less trust than Christian. Christian said, yes, we can't, we can do it. I just, well, I don't know, it's a lot of countries. <laughs> <laughs> and what about the pressure? How, how did that feel? Uh, <laughs> uh, we we were actually talking about that. Like we 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 have been friends for six years. You know, we met each other in the first psychology class we were. And we said, you know, we've been we've been through um, tough things together, but this is take his take it takes it to another level. So at the end of the day, I, I think that. One of the most important things about handling the pressure of the competition is that soon enough you have to take, uh, you have to dive with your idea because the longer you keep thinking about making something, the longer you keep keeping yourself in a hole. So it's a, at some uh, at some point you have to realize well, you have to believe in your idea. That's the most important thing. Like we like. For example, the the language barrier is something very important to us because when we speak in English, there is a very, a very fundamental part of us that can't come out. So, like five minutes before, we were all nervous, and I grabbed Stephanie. Like, it doesn't matter that we don't speak English that well. We know the idea. We believe the idea is king, and that's what we have to let the jury know. Yeah, yeah. Well, you're doing, your English is perfect for this, so thank you for that. <laughs> and, and congratulations for actually making it to this podcast, because I'm, I'm sure everyone was celebrating quite hard last night after the awards. Ah, no, no. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. We are. Well, well, I personally can't remember when we won gold in Costa Rica, but <laughs> it's a huge honor to be here in the house of PR. Excellent. Um, judges, let's come back to you. Uh, what was it about these guys and, and the other two winning entries as well that, that you saw and you thought, yeah, this, this stood out more than the others? Um, I think for the top ones, and we had a really good debate about maybe the five or six top ones, they were the ones that really got us in the gut while the teams were presenting. They were memorable. Many of them were very visual. And even though um, these guys had the hearing test, in some ways, that's also a visual idea because you can kind of see it. It doesn't require a lot of explanation. Um, and the fact that they wove in insight about the target audience and really paid attention to who the target was and came up with a creative solution that was going to work for these real people. You, you, you mentioned earlier about you know it, um, entries coming as far and wide you know as China. How, how many countries enter and how many people were entering across the um, you know the the individual territories? Do you, can you share that kind of information, James? Sure. Yeah. From what I understand, I think there were 468 um, entries from 69 countries 
um, and seven categories. Right, okay. That's for the total young lion scheme. Yeah. And, 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 uh, and Blair, what would you say are the benefits you know, to the industry as a whole from, from this kind of activity, I this mean, competition? I think generally the benefits of the industry are, are quite evident, is that your young talent is going to be not only showcased, but improved and supported by doing these kind of competitions. Coming together, sharing with like-minded individuals their ideas, their creative responses to briefs, understanding more about how our world works in general by being here at the Lions, if they can get to this stage, is only beneficial to their personal progress, their career progress, and obviously their agencies and their teams that they work within. Yeah, okay, well let, let's have the uh, the last word with um, our winners here. Um, what are you guys going to take back to your agencies from this, this whole experience? Well, we believe that the mall, um, our industry is on a very early stage, so when you come to Can Lions, you, it's kind of like taking a trip to the future. So when we come back, we want to harness all that we learn. Uh, I believe that at the end of the day, these kind of awards, what brings you is credibility so we were actually talking to our creative directors last night like well we cannot argue with you when you gave us the brief anymore Uh, like bring it on even more (laughs) that's great stuff Uh, thank you all for joining us Um, good luck when you get back to Costa Rica and uh, we are back after this break thank you thank you bye thank you you're listening to the C-Suite Podcast. To listen to all previous shows in the series, you can either visit csuitepodcast.com, follow us on SoundCloud, or subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, or in any one of your favorite podcast apps. Please do give us a positive rating and review when you do. Welcome back to this final interview of today's C-Suite podcast being recorded at Can Lions at the uh, ICO House of PR. I've got two guests uh, here to talk to us about um, something we haven't actually talked about uh, yet so far, which is augmented influence. Uh, so looking to uh, learn more about that, plus data and something we've uh, covered off quite recently in the show, which is purpose-driven marketing. Guys, do you want to introduce yourselves and then we can start the conversation? So I am Guillaume Hobat and I am the global CEO of MSL and happy to be here. Excellent. Mary-Pierre Sac-Flora, I'm the uh, Global SVP of Philosophy at Cody, and also very happy to be talking about those uh, topics. Excellent. Well, um, welcome to you both. Uh, Guillaume, let, let's, uh, let's start with you, because something that I know you guys have been talking about uh, quite a lot here is this conversation to commerce, and it's something that you describe as, as a new way of driving sales and engagement through earned influence, and, and that also links to you know what I was hinting at at the top of the, uh, of the interview, but over to you. Explain to us what, what that's all about. So first of all, C2C stands for conversation to commerce, but also conversation to credibility. Um, The idea is to take uh, a piece of earned media, a piece of content that could be uh, an article, it could be uh, a blog, it could be also a video, and um, transform that into an ad unit um, through the use of the platform, and then put that in front of the right uh, target um, and at the right time and at at the right place as well and then be able to measure the impact either in terms of reputation, brand lifting, or in terms, more importantly, in terms of sales. So C2C, we call it C2C, this platform was launched in September 2016, a bit less than one year ago. We've tested it a lot across the world in the US, I mean, mostly in North America and in Asia. And the impact of the use of this platform has been fantastic. The results are amazing and um, we are very, very, very uh, successful with the use of this platform. Um, we are selling this 
opportunity in this platform almost on a daily basis. It's a great opportunity for MSL. Sure. Okay. Well, I'll, I'll quiz you on, on the results in, in a little uh, while. But the it, it's very much data-driven initiative. Data seems to be one of the key trends at CAN this year. Do, how does data drive the impact on, on the platform? So, in order to target the right audience, you need to have the right information. You need to have the right data. I mean, traditional PR companies don't have too much access to that kind of data, big data, what we call the big data. That's why MSL had a partnership with Publicis Media and Performix in particular, which is a company of Publicis Media, to have access not only to their use of data, but also to the performance and the measurement that they, um, that they have access to. So for us, it's, it's a revolution, definitely a revolution. And this partnership has definitely helped us not only to better target the audiences, when, where, who as well, but also to measure the impact not only on sales, but also on brand lifting. Uh, Marie-Pierre, let's, let's bring you in uh, into the conversation here, because obviously you've, you've partnered up with these guys uh, to, to use this, this system, this tool. Do you want to talk us through you know, what you've actually been doing together and, and how it's actually worked for you? So it's worked very, very well. And we were actually an early adopter uh, because we think that it's really an, um, um, a holy grail for a brand like ours. Um, there are several reasons why we wanted to try it. The first thing is that it allows us to close the loop, the omni-channel loop all the way from um, earn media and influence to purchase. Um, and we've always known that uh, influence was one of the touch points that had the best ROI, but here with uh, C2C we're able to even improve the return. Um, the second reason why we're interested is to be able to monetize earned media in a way that's very genuine, non-branded, so it doesn't look like the brand is pushing you know, information or sales uh, in the direction of the consumer. Uh, is really important for us, uh, especially because consumers today respond less and less uh, when brands are openly trying to uh, influence their purchase uh, pattern. And then finally, um, what uh, we like also a lot is that it's accelerating the number of steps uh, it takes to get to purchase. So we know that millennials, for instance, need six to seven touch points with a product or brand before they decide to buy. And here we're able to control that number of steps and, and make it much shorter. Uh, and, and bring them to purchase much faster. Uh, Guillaume, we talked at the top about augmented uh, influence. Um, do, do you want to just go into a little bit more detail about that? Yeah, yeah. But let's talk about influence first. Um, today's influence has never been more important for a couple of reasons. I mean, historic, historically, um, the brand marketers didn't think very highly of the traditional PR campaigns for a couple of reasons. One, they had a short shell life. Two, um, it was very difficult to know who was reading the newspaper. And three, it was impossible to measure the impact on, of any PR campaign. Um, but today, I would say the power of influence has completely changed with the use as that of data, as I said before, with the use of technology. It's very precise, it's much more social and digital, and it's much more targeted. Um, so, with the use of data, we are now able to target the right audience at the right time um, and in the right place. And um, we are then, after that, we are able to measure the impact of um, the influence. You need to know that uh, because of a test we've done, um, the return on investment of influence is seven to ten times higher 
than paid media. So um, the augmented influence is basically the use of influence because we know it has it, it is much more impactful with data through data and technology and measurement. That's what we call augmented influence. Okay, and uh, and Marie uh, Pierre, uh, can you share any of the results that you've had using this this uh, this platform? Yeah, so the results were uh, quite fascinating actually, and sunny the beginning because we started with a with a test just in four states in the in the United States. Um, the first thing is that uh, we realized that um, the earned media units, the ad units, are much more efficient than traditional media online. Um, they uh, brought a, a click-through rate that was 36% higher than the benchmark. Uh, but even better, we were able to drive 42,000 women uh, to brick-and-mortar stores in three weeks. And again, small-scale uh, test, but that was amazing which means that actually the uh, cost per visit was much lower than benchmark. It was 2.5 to 4.5 times lower than benchmark, which obviously for us is wonderful. It means yeah, we're, with a smaller budget or even with the same budget, we're able to bring so much more, so many more women to, to the brand. Okay. Now, what we have you here, um, there's, there's a topic that's also been uh, sort of discussed quite heavily uh, here in, in Cannes and something that I've covered actually in recent shows, and that's a purpose-driven marketing. And obviously that's going to be very relevant to you guys Tell us, tell us, you know, your thoughts on, on, on that whole aspect and that whole area. So uh, for philosophy, uh, influence is really not only about pushing products or um, communication information to consumers. It's much more about emotional influence. It's about creating the next level of relationship with the consumer. And we have actually, uh, we say we have three uh, influences on women's life. One, we make them look good with our products. We make them feel good with the philosophies that are written on uh, the packaging uh, to lift their spirits and their uh, sense of self-worth. Uh, and then finally, we invite them to do good because 1% of their purchase goes towards um, our charity called Hope and Grace, which aims at breaking the stigma of mental health uh, globally. Okay. So very important for us. Um, and we have uh, had a lot of success with Hope and, Hope and Grace. We just launched a PSA. Uh, which was a very emotional PSA, answering the question, how are you really? Which is uh, when you ask people on the streets, the first step towards uh, starting a new conversation and helping people express their feelings and their issues and their problems and helping them feel better about them. Where can uh, our listeners go for more information on, on the charity? So you can go to uh, philosophy.com. Uh, we have a specific page on the, on the charity. And then also on uh, every one of our, uh, of our packaging, uh, we have a special message. And then finally on YouTube, you would see the PSA, the uh, Hope and Grace PSA, which was launched uh, in May, uh, which is uh, Mental Health Month in uh, in the US. Okay, excellent. Well, uh, Guillaume Herbert and uh, Marie-Pierre Stark-Flora, thank you so much for joining the show. Thank, thank you, you for having us. Thank Bye. you. Well, that's it for another show. So thanks once again to our sponsors, Capstone Hill Search and to ICO for letting us record the interviews at their house of PR here at Can Lions. Um, don't forget, you can listen to all previous shows on SoundCloud, iTunes and TuneIn. Just search for the C-Suite podcast and you'll find us. And if you're on iTunes, please do give us a decent rating and review because that will help us up the uh, the business charts. We've also got a Twitter feed and a Facebook group so you can get involved in the conversation there and you can comment on anything that you've heard on this or previous shows. That's it for now. Thanks for listening and goodbye.